This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're wondering about the future of the National Women's Soccer League, you've found the right podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf, and this is Kicking Back. This week, joined by NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird to talk about all things regarding the future of the NWSL, from future expansion to a possible league rebrand and the relationship with U.S. soccer and much more. We're wrapping up season one of Kicking Back. We've had some great guests throughout the season. If you've missed any, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future guests. We've got a lot planned for 2021. And please go ahead and rate and review this podcast to help others find it just like you. With that, let's get right to it with Lisa Baird on the latest edition and the final episode of season one of Kicking Back. Welcome to another edition of Kicking Back. Jeff Kasouf here. We're rounding out the year on this podcast, and I'm joined with, uh, we're going out in style here with Lisa Baird, the commissioner of NWSL. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Thanks, Jeff. It's, it's good to be here since I started my, uh, uh, my started, you were the first, one of the first people I ever talked to when I, before I even started the job. So it's nice to end the year with you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, obviously, a big year. A lot happened, um, obviously, for everybody, but certainly for the league. And, and I think maybe, you know, we chatted um, some six, seven months ago before everything and, and wanted to kind of get uh, your view on the, the year that was and maybe what's ahead uh, on this podcast. I'm sure plenty of people interested in, in what the road ahead looks like for, for the NWSL. So, um, you know, you, you've heard this a lot, but I'm curious now that we're into deep into December, March 10th, your official start date. March 11th, late at night, is when the NBA calls the season, or at least brings it to a halt, and every other kind of sports domino falls. Um, so maybe about 36 hours you had there on the job officially yeah. for that news. Uh, we spoke in April, on April 1st, and, and you said, you know, I think the thing that stood out was there's no playbook for this. You know, you were going to figure it out as you went. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, now we're turning the page to 2021 you're still navigating a pandemic, obviously. Do you feel like you have a little bit of a playbook to, to build from after going through some successes and challenges in 2020? Yeah, I, you know what, we do. And I'm, I think the thing that gives me the most heart is that as a league, we came out and we were first back with the bubble environment. Um, and, you know, we were all, um, I think we were all confident in the medical protocols, but man, they were new and they weren't tested. And so the fact that we were able to do the bubble environment and, and come out of it COVID-free um, was really confidence building. But then to go and do home and away. So we actually came back and then went into a home and away type of environment in these small pods and were again able to do that um, with great safety. So I think that gave us like kind of what I call the backbone of um, competition in a pandemic and, and navigating it real well. And, you know, as I said, we only had to reschedule one game during this whole year, and that was because of air quality. 
um, in Portland. Um, and you know, you never, there's, there's always something. So that, that was a big deal of, of the core of the playbook was the health and safety of the players. So challenge cup, you mentioned you, you come back with the challenge cup in late June into July, mostly and and first pro team sports league back in the U S um, which gave you a platform, obviously some games on big CBS, you know, a, a lot of, of success there. I think maybe what stands out to you for successes this year? I think you mentioned probably safety is first and foremost, but I, I know a big thing that's been tossed around about 500% increase in TV viewership, which I think is, a lot of people see as that sort of proving of value of women's sports that hasn't been there before. Uh, particularly proud moment beyond maybe the health and safety for you this year? You know, I'd, I'd have to say, you know, also being able to um, welcome in two expansion teams um, with Los Angeles, which, which created a lot of excitement. And also now with Angie Long in Kansas City, um, Angie and Chris um, and their vision for the franchise, you know, that's something, you know, I think all of us at the ownership level, uh, you know, at the at the league level, ought to be really proud of the fact that um, here are uh, two cities that are really betting on women and and betting on on our league, and I think that's a proud moment for everybody. You mentioned Kansas City there, and and I think that some of the pressing news, obviously, of late. You know the the move from Utah for the Royals. Um, I want to go through a little bit of the the process there, maybe because it it was a quick one, I guess, for the sort of outside viewer. And and you know, Challenge Cup comes six seven months ago and is planned. And Utah is a big piece of that. And Deloy yeah. Hansen, former Royals owner, a big piece of that of you know financially and facilities and and very quickly that becomes, you know, comes August and there's reports of, of sort of the, the culture at the club and, and quickly, um, you know, the, the investigations and he agrees that he'll sell all of those assets, including MLS. Um, I'm curious what that's like for you to navigate for starters of, of going from, you know, that point in May where, you know, obviously I'm sure you remember Utah was oh. singing the praises and then you've got August, September where you're, um, I don't know if you could have imagined that three months no. later of, of reversing that scenario. What was that like for you to have to navigate um, as a as a commissioner, as a leader of the league? I think, look, I'll be very honest. That was very hard. I mean, and by the way, I just want to say one thing. Utah, the Challenge Cup being set in Utah was a, an extraordinary success for us. And I really want to do a big shout out to all the staff at Real Salt Lake, with, led by Stephanie Lee and. Um, the, the team at Real Salt Lake, because they just literally le left no stone unturned to make the tournament a success. I mean, it was the first time our players had gone into a bubble, you know, and all of the details that the staff actually executed were, you know, they were just incredible. And it really made for a very successful tournament. Um, you know, and then to come back and, you know, I can, um, you know, appreciate Deloitte and his, he led the decision to sell all the holdings. And I think it was, it was very challenging for all of us. The thing that is the hardest to do when you leave a market is to say goodbye to the fans. And I mean, I was on social media and I was hearing them and, you know, they've been fans and have built um, one of the most successful fan bases in women's soccer. So that to me is the hardest part, 
you know, the, the players I think are going to be, I know are going to be really well taken care of with Kansas City. It's a player first environment and Angie and, and Chris are already making the steps to make this transition really smooth. But, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful that Utah will be a market for us one day. We'll see. Um, and, um, you know, just stay tuned and, and I hope they'll tune in to watch their players play in the NWSL. That Royals announcement, when they announce it from a team level, 2023 expansion option, should the new RSL buyer want to opt into that, essentially, is the, the general way to say it, right? Yeah, it's general. There is there is that. And I think, you know, we have a good relationship with um, – uh, MLS and and like John Kimball, who's the interim uh, uh, GM or president of the team, and I uh, continue to be in talks, and and we want to make sure that the fans know that we're here from that. Even though here means please follow us in another city or follow the games on CBS and Twitch, um, but you know we'll see. I guess we'll have to see. It's certainly. I think it's certainly a challenging time in sports, and and we shouldn't take anything for granted. Uh, so Kansas City obviously coming in as a as an expansion team technically and and Utah folding um, you know the the process there Kansas City for the brief history obviously people know FC Kansas City folded 2017 Utah took over you know in in so many words um, that that right and three years later going back um, Utah as you mentioned, 10,000 fans or so a game, second best market is a, is a tough one to lose. Uh, at what point in that process, it was early September when I think Deloitte and Hanson announced he would, he was agreed to sell all the assets. Uh, early December, Kansas City's confirmed. At what point do you realize um, from your view if, that Utah locally is not happening? You have to make a decision for 21. The worst of those is obviously folding entirely with no replacement. So where does Kansas City become the option in that in that timeline and how does that sort of develop from your end? Well, I think any commissioner, any commissioner, any league will tell you it starts with committed and um, visionary ownership. Um, and that's something that is is so important for any league. Um, I had uh, met Angie by phone um, earlier in the summer. In fact, their uh, coach, their interim coach, Hugh Williams, had reached out to me because uh, we were doing a lot of different calls. We were cultivating a number of conversations with future ownership, but I kept having conversations with Angie and Chris and coming back to the fact that they really had a vision for women's soccer, women's soccer first. And that's really appealing to us. Um, we have owners in our league that own you know, multiple teams, men's teams and USL teams and MLS teams. And, um, but this was a vision they really had for Kansas City, given um, how well, in particular, some of the women's World Cup events have done, the TV ratings are done, it, it has kind of an ingrown passion for our sport. So I kept returning back to it and we talked to her and we said, listen, this is gonna be a really tight timeline. What do you think? I, I mean, I literally said it. And I'm like, Angie, are you ready? Can we do this? And um, she just, without skipping a beat, goes, I, I just want that. I want those players. I want them in our market. They're going to, you know, some of them lived there before. They're going home, um, Amy Rodriguez. And, and I think it was just her commitment to make this an incredibly smooth startup that, that really impressed uh, uh, the other owners and myself. That was about November maybe then, do you think? Or 
Yeah, yeah. really tight, tight around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's only December 12th or something. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, now branding and everything, obviously for them to figure out, which is a, is a very, t- I mean, it's not unprecedented. There's been, no. I think the latest move was the flash to North Carolina, January 8th or 9th, I think was the date. I think that's from what I've heard the shortest time. Um, But our life has gotten bigger since then. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a bigger schedule. We have more complications. We have, you know, a a longer season. So we're starting earlier. Um, They got to work on their brand. We're like, I I remember um, calling my commercial folks and saying, uh, you better get to the front of the line at the Nike Corporation um, for their kits. So they've got a, they've got a lot to do, but they're they're really approaching it very calmly and and with priority. So I'm yeah. really confident we'll be able to pull it off. Well, let's talk about some of those those forward looking things. I think one of the things encouraging for me for this this Kansas City group, um, a lot of things really, but I think also that there was a point in time not long ago, maybe two years ago, really, the league seemed sort of very obviously this predates you, but but it seemed very intent on MLS model ownership being the way forward. And, and obviously LA and Kansas City changed that and in a very you know interesting positive way of independent quote unquote but not maybe um, independent and and questioning you know is is the capital there or the resources there but independent woman majority owned you know a lot of encouraging of stadiums seem encouraging for long term um, what you know the number 14 has also been been put out there for for teams right for a goal of the short term. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you're at 10 for 2021 LA, uh, we're still waiting maybe on the, the Sacramento confirmation. We don't don't have anything. uh, (laughs) I don't have anything to share, but (laughs) you know, assuming, you know, that puts you at 12, um, optimistically the Utah owner that comes in for RSL maybe wants to opt into that 2023 is 13. So that leaves one spot. I know we're speaking very hypothetically in a, in a strange world, but when you look at strategically how you want to expand, maybe that's geographic, um, which it has to be a factor, I'm sure, but obviously ownership, that creates an interesting sort of demand maybe, but it also puts some some pressure on you and the Board of Governors of what does that 14th team or maybe 13th and 14th need to look like? So what does future expansion look like to you having gone through this year and being in this moment? Well, look, you've you've kind of pinpointed the challenge of it. And, you know, I have to say I've been delighted with the people that have reached out to me to express their interest, um, which is great um, and and not something we take for granted. Um, I I don't know if the number's 14, if it's 16, but it's not a lot. Um, We, our goal, and you could talk to any owner in the league, we are completely harmonized on our goal, which is we want to continue to be the best women's soccer league in the world. And that requires us to have the best players, the best facilities, the best high performance training, the best coaches. So um, when you look at that, you want to be very, very methodical about what your future expansion is and where. Um, The market is, the market um, choice is a really interesting one right? You know, in some ways you go, well, wait, you did Los Angeles and Kansas City in one, in one year. Those are two wildly different markets. And you kind of look at them and you say, okay, who's the ownership group? What are the facilities? 
where's the depth of the fan base there? How do they compete in a crowded market, which is LA? But for us, LA as, you know, kind of one of the world's best sports markets, it, it is one of the world's best. If you look at the trajectory for Los for soccer in Los Angeles, you know, not only do you have the growing momentum of what we're doing with the league, but we definitely get an enormous bounce off of Women's World Cup, and there's two, plus the Men's World Cup, I'm certain, will will have a number of, of big important games there, which creates more soccer, um, soccer passion. And then, of course, the Olympic Games in 28. Right. And and we all know the women's tournament at the Olympic Games is a it's a big deal. So you look at L.A. and go, OK, that trajectory is really strong and solid. And then when you combine it with the ownership of Julie and Alexis and Natalie and Kara and David and um, uh, the rest of the people that are so excited, um, you know, the the Julie Foudy has been really vocal and supportive as well as me and all the other. And you go, OK, their their trajectory seems solid. But then we go and we revert to Kansas City. Now, why? Well, because, you know, we're going to be a top three, four team in Kansas City. Like, we're, we're not going to be 29th. We're going to be, we're going to be front center in that city with what we hope will be a really exciting facility. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the first design for women, but I can tell you from what um, uh, um, Angie and Chris have designed for us, they're really taking the needs of the women's game into account there. Um, and I think it's going to be a really exciting visionary experience. Um, they're well along with their financing. So I, I like the idea that we can create innovative road paths so it's not just a formula. Um, and where we'll go next, it'll just be guided by making sure that the best players come into our league, that we keep the standard strong, and that requires investing in the core operations that will enable us to do that. Yeah, it would be a stadium built purposely for a women's pro team would be the third, as I was uh, corrected on the. It's the third. Twitter, okay. Twitter this week. What are the uh, first? What were the first two? Uh, Carrie for for the Carolina Courage in the, in WSA, and then uh, the Atlanta Beat of WPS built oh. a gorgeous stadium at Kennesaw State University, and and obviously only lasted two seasons, and now it's a college football stadium that was. Okay. Uh, but but a very nice. I was there when it opened for the WPS All Star Game, which was. Um, a cool event, all-star games. Yes, they I'll are. Give, a, give a, a wink there for uh, future. Wink maybe, there. Maybe future seasons. Um, how much do you, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about players. I think this year has highlighted, you know, maybe it's situational, but some star players obviously going overseas. And I think that's only accelerated the discussion around longer term competition, which is obviously healthy, but, you know, longer term, what that looks like um, on a player front, especially U.S. players. I'm wondering that combined with the expansion conversation, do you worry at all about quality of play or, or how are you even mitigating that in terms of, you know, five teams in potentially three to four years is a pretty rapid expansion of the player pool and obviously, you know, thinning out of some, some talent in theory. So how do you sort of mitigate that from a competition perspective? I, you know what, I'll tell you what the, I, I'm not an expert, but I'm a, a firm believer in the strategy of building high performance cultures in sports. And, and I saw it work um, extraordinarily well um, in the, when I was at the U S Olympic committee for 10 years and over the 10 year period that we were there, particularly for the women's um, sports, 
the culture and the um, underpinnings of high performance that can readily increase and, and build um, the quality of the pipeline, the, the quantity of the pipeline, that's the whole secret to it. So we're already deep in discussions with U.S. soccer. You know that relationship is changing at the end of the year, and we are going to be building with them, as we've done all along. I mean, I don't know that this is any different, but it'll be far more focused, if you will, with Cade and with Ernie and with Vladko. Like, how do we continue to build that high-performance culture and that high-performance environment in women's soccer in the United States? Um, how can we, you know, on the future for me is, you know, it's worrisome to see the pressure that uh, sports like soccer are under in the NCAA. How can we continue to innovate and create new sources of pipeline from a, a you know, the, the product standpoint. So we have to look at some things that we've not yet had the chance to do because we're still a fairly young league. Um, you know, look, we want to be appealing to international players. Um, you know, obviously, you know, that's a key part of what we need to do is encourage and recruit international players. Um, having people like Dabinia and Marta play in our, our team and the Canadian soccer players just ups the game. So it's not going to be easy. It's definitely challenging. But but the answer is going to be on a number of fronts, Jeff. I imagine allocation money is, is obviously a big part of that introduced only about a year ago at this point. Um, there's been talk for a while. I, I think it was, as I understood, pretty close until the pandemic hit on a potential homegrown player concept of, of some sorts. Um, might we see that potentially soon? Yeah, I think, I think the task force is still exploring it. Um, one thing that we've got to do is be um, careful because it's at, like, you know, when we, when we go to study one subject, like a homegrown or discovery or any, any number, number one of them, it ends up that we end up kind of touching other rules. So we took a step back after the fall series ended and Liz, Liz Dalton, who's my um, director of player operations, along with the product committee, a newly reconstituted product committee, really took a step back and said, listen, let's really look at all of this very holistically. Um, so there might have been a, a few delays, but um, it's because you don't want to push forward on one and then inadvertently affect something else. And we've never done this type of kind of really relooking at all of our games, our operation manuals, everything. And that's the work that's undergoing now in our very small off season. <laughs> Anything you expect to, to maybe, I don't know if drastically change, but affect um, competition or structure or anything from those sort of big picture conversations? Um, you know, I think we're trying to be innovative. It's, it's less so, look, we do, we have, we have very enthusiastic discussions in the product committee and at the board of governors level. I'm not going to go into what they are, but I love it because I think they're very strategic discussions that, that our ownership has about, you know, what is the right philosophy of competition going forward? We're, we're almost 10 years into this. We've had success and, and this is, you know, we've had some success in this. I think I'm still a little astonished by the success we had this year. Um, but how, what do we want to be? And I love the fact that we're engaged in kind of both sides of the coin. What is going to separate our league? What's going to make our league successful? And we're having those conversations right now. I don't know that there's going to be an easy answer. And I bet that the one we come up with is going to be, I think we're going to come up with something that fits us. 
But those are the conversations that are going on now. I can't report what they are because they're not resolved yet. But um, I can tell you they're enthusiastic. That's for sure. <laughs> it's fun to listen in to them. Um, at the core, what everybody shares is a real passion to keep us the best league in the world. Well, from a, a competition perspective, the Challenge Cup returns next year, which, you know, a, a cup competition. I think we heard that a lot over the summer from coaches, players, that they, they wanted that back. Uh, that'll predate the regular season, which will go deeper than, than ever. Um, you know, it was planned to go into November this year in, in a regular season, but we'll do the same. And expansion to six teams for the playoffs, which I imagine is with an eye toward future expansion that, yeah. that obviously six out of 10 maybe is, is heavy, but MLS went through this same phase where that six I imagine was set with the idea of getting to 12, 14. Yeah, that's right. Um, so w- what are you looking forward to from a competition perspective in, in 21? I imagine, you know, challenge cup gives you some flexibility too with not knowing where this pandemic's going to be in April that, that you don't start the regular season until May. There's, there's a little flexibility there as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Jeff. We had to, I think the learning from this year is um, plan different scenarios. Um, So the Challenge Cup, now that it's got a year under the belt and people know what it is, gives us an opportunity to be that flexible and decide what the ultimate format will be, depending on where we are. Um, I also like it because um, it's that quick round robin, exciting crowning a champion earlier and remember that should highlight a lot of our players who are going to go on and play for their olympic teams so that's going to be really fun to see how sponsors and um and the press kind of like uses the opportunity because in if you look at it in other olympics there's something called trials right? You got to go to the swimming trials, got to go to the track and field trials. And like you get the opportunity to see who's going to be on the Olympic team. Well, we're kind of providing that for women's soccer because of our season. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with our 10 teams because we've got Louisville's looking like they're making some very clever moves right now. Um, Remains to be seen, of course, but um, you know, we're used to being a team with two perennial powerhouses. And I think that may be changing a little bit. I think it, it may be changing. There's some really, Washington looks really strong. Um, I, you know, continue their, their off-season moves are really fun to follow. Houston continues to do really well. So Orlando kind of had some really great games, even, you know, they were out for the Challenge Cup, but they came in in the fall series and did some good things. So Red Stars, you can never count them out. Like, I think there's increasing competitiveness in the league, which is, I think it's all great for the fans. Mm-hmm. So I thought a future concept for the challenge cup that would be cool would be a challenge cup winner especially preseason or before regular season like this wild card playoff berth among the six teams give a little incentive especially if a team that maybe is not a contender wins that they've got that extends their fans engagement for the year that you get in october and maybe they've been terrible in the regular season but they've got a playoff berth to, to a wild card berth well, I hope I hope the four members of the product committee are listening to you. I have to say, I'd love to think that the commissioner drives all the rules in the NWL. She doesn't, um, but I'd be a fan of that. I would tell you. But I think that they're um, they're they haven't quite fa- finalized the competition rules for it. Um, so let's hope they're listening to the podcast because I like the idea. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully they're listening. So you've mentioned your time at the U.S. Olympic Committee a little bit here, and I know during the Challenge Cup you spoke about um, you really like competitions like that. That That's kind of what you're used to is a tournament format. 
Challenge Cup is back. You know, we've seen um, it's independent of NWSL, but the ICC doing a, a women's tournament. There's a lot of talk from FIFA for a while now about the Women's Club World Cup. There's always been a lack of events. I think we had talked about this on NWSL Live maybe in the spring. Is there anything that you're planning that's maybe further along now of, of other than Challenge Cup, of an event that gets people excited in a, in a moment that sponsors can look at? Yeah, look, it's something that's definitely on our our radar right now. Um, We have, um, I think this year, an Olympic year at a World Cup year, it's probably pretty um, ambitious to try and fit them all in. But next year is our 10th anniversary as a league. And um, I really want to have some exciting events to launch um, in the 10th anniversary year. Um, it, it'll, it'll be, I think I've seen them, I've seen sponsors ask for them. I think they're great for the players. Most importantly, they're great for the fans. So you can see us really making a lot out of the 10th anniversary year with some, with some, with some cool events. Nice. That'd be, that'd be cool to see 10th anniversary. MLS just did a 25th anniversary. Um, really some, successfully. Some I cool think. stuff. I don't know about the giant golden virtual men at the, the final, but um, you know, some cool stuff. Otherwise I like the, the countdown list and everything. Well, I think, I, I think, um, the one thing that, you know, we'll, we're definitely going to do because again, it's, it's been nine years and they've gone really fast. I know for our teams and our owners and the players, but, um, we're looking forward to relaunching our brand, um, at the end of the year and for the, um, for the 10th anniversary. So whether that would be an evolution or revolution, don't know yet. Um, excited to hear from the fans what they think, but, um, I think it's really time to really look at our branding and our, our graphics. I don't know about the really large, tall golden men, but you never know. Um, we'll, we're looking at that and, um, some other exciting things. The, the thing I missed the most this year was that fan interaction. So we're going to build on some opportunities this year going into next year for the fans to really play a, a significant part in evolving what we look like for the next decade. Well, I think you might be reading my notes through the screen here because I was going to ask you, I know branding is, is something that, you know, you have a lot of experience with the brand. Um, while not bad, I think was, was certainly everybody would admit was hurried in 2012 yeah. Um, and I actually did a story on, on equalizersoccer.com earlier this year about how the logo was created, um, which I think is... I remember. I read it. You know, thank you. Um, I think it was a, a unique logo, but um, you know, maybe it's one that leagues evolve. I know modernizing uh, the logo has been something a lot of leagues have done. And, and I think also, I, I did see some feedback actually even to that story of players who said, you know, they're kind of past the, the ponytail look of, of leagues, um, which I think is an evolution that is fairly recent in terms of the movement for that anyway. So um, WNBA, I'm sure you'd maybe take some notes from with the success they had this I, year. I right? think they did a brilliant job this year. And, you know, the ponytails, it used to be something significant for our league, but like all the men are wearing ponytails now. So what's differentiated for that? I see them all the, all the NFL, the MLS. I, I don't know. The ponytail does have some heritage to it. So we're going to engage a really talented designer in the spring, um, have him talk to our owners, our players, uh, maybe even some fans um, to really get a sense of what the league should be for the next 10 years. It's always an exciting time to redesign a league brand. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really confident that uh, we'll come up with something winning for it. Well, related to that, I'm sure fans would be interested. Merchandise is something 
very important. And I think across the world this year, we saw whether it was Australia, previously some U.S. kits, that yeah. there was a struggle to just purchase women's soccer, women's sports gear. I mean, I, per- I personally saw that. We did some giveaways of jerseys for fans and we ordered them and, and we were excited to kind of give them away. And we didn't get some of them, you know, some of these really nice new kits till September, December, yeah. you know, and, and that's obviously not a great customer experience and that's not necessarily controlled by you, but something to, to address. Um, how are you, the sweatshirts are obviously part of that. I'm sure some, you know, again, the WNBA experience, but, but how are you sort of looking at how that can expand? Well, there's two things to it. One is, look, the fan gear is always great fun. And we have a lot more flexibility with fan gear, which is great recreational with the hoodies were fun to do. Um, and I think the, the, you know, the, the fans, um, really responded well to them, um, We've got some Christmas stuff out on the website, uh, some holiday stuff for the winter. Um, a really cute beanie hat. I think that's really cute. Um, so the fan stuff is kind of easier and more fun. But what we really need to do is take the performance gear really seriously. So we're working really hard with Nike. Um, as, as with all companies who've had a challenging time, the pandemic, we got to work on those product roadmaps, make sure that we have the best at Nike working on our kits, and also look beyond just the kit for some innovation there. Um, I've been partnering with Nike for a lot of years um, through the NFL and uh, a lot of NGBs and the Olympic Committee. And they, when they hit something, no one else hits it out of the ballpark like they do. But we have an opportunity here for um, like really using 21 to get it right so that 22, our anniversary year, we're there right on time. And that includes backing up all our timelines, getting brand work done. So we've already put our owners on notice that uh, they're going to have to deliver all their logos for 22 a lot easier, a lot earlier than they ever did. So it's a, that's how you build a licensing business and a, and a real strong merchandise business. Because I feel like if fans are voting and wearing a hat or a scarf or a kit or, you know, a hoodie, they're voting with their hearts. And that's what you want to see. Um, and, and I know our fan base does that. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. That sounds like the 10 year anniversary will be uh, some custom kits and some great, some great things to, to look at. So um, you mentioned the, the U S soccer relationship earlier and for several years, even predating you, it's, it's been a case of, uh, the initial agreement had expired and, and it was always extended a year, essentially, was, mm-hmm. was how it, it went. Anything you can share on what that might look like in, in 21 in, in any detail of how that will look? Well, I think I think it's just going to be it'll be again. I think it'll be one based on principles like how, we want the U.S. Women's National Team to play in our league. In order to do that, um, we have to be investing in our league and it goes back to this principle of high performance that I've been talking about. You know, we really have to continue to lead the way with the women's game in terms of high performance and U S soccer is completely aligned with that strategy. Um, uh, you know, for next year, uh, the, you know, I'm hoping that all the women's team will be playing in our league. I am pretty sure some of them, if not most of them are going to come back and play. Um, and, um, from then it's really continuing to build it so that we retain the edge over a lot of teams, particularly in Europe that are investing in it. So from that strategy, I think the alignment is there. 
Um, I talk to Will Wilson a lot. Um, I think we'll hopefully work on some marketing ideas together. We've not done that before, really. And I think that's an opportunity for us. So their chief revenue officer, David Wright, is is linked with our new chief revenue officer, Mitch Pohl. So it's really building the bridges on those things that um, that matter to both of us. But I think the high performance, continuing to have the U.S. Women's National Team players play with us, continuing to upgrade um, U.S. soccer and NWSL within the overall sports line, uh, that'll, that'll be what the future relationship will be built on. Well, you mentioned just now a hire, a new hire, and I think um, quietly the, the league office has gotten a, a little bit bigger, right? Um, yes. That's a, a success story in, in 2020, I would say. Yeah, we, well, we didn't get that much bigger. You know, it's, when I look back at 2020, I, it's hard to say this, but you know, when, when people look back at, they go, okay, who survived and thrived? I, I like sit there and go, I really am really deeply appreciative and find it really remarkable that not only did we survive a pandemic year when so many people were challenged, we thrived. And, and again, look, I'm going to give the players all the credit in the world, not only playing in a bubble for a month, but then coming back and doing the full series. And we saw a lot of new young talent there, which was, you know, maybe that wasn't intentional, but it sure was a silver lining of having those opportunities for younger players that we wanted to look on the field and then um, have them be on CBS. It was a year when it was the inaugural year of two new broadcast agreements with CBS and Twitch. They invested in us. Both of them did. Um, we brought on sponsors, you know, and, and all companies were challenged in this. So we thrived. Now it's up to us to say, okay, how do we take that and start to really build a strong, robust infrastructure for the future that can take us the next 10 years. So hiring key talent like Mitch, um, Paul, and um, we're going to invest in our operations side of the business. Um, we hired a young social media guy. He's really, really doing well. Um, Ruben Dominguez, really happy about that. But we'll always be a very fiscally responsible league. We need to be. We're small and we're independent. Um, maybe that's why I like our independent owners so much um, because we're independent. We're not, we don't have, you know, a men's league, although I couldn't be happier with our relationship with Don Garber and the team at MLS. They're very helpful. They always, you know, return my calls and, you know, help with advice and counsel anywhere they can. Um, but we've got to be fiscally conservative and smart in this environment. We're not out of the woods there. And I think our ownership really appreciates that. Well, you mentioned the, the TV deals with, with CBS and Twitch, which we talked about a little bit. I think sponsorship was a big success with, you know, P&G and, and Verizon and some different sponsors, obviously Budweiser previously and, and continuing. Um, I, I know that's a, a near and dear to heart topic of, of you know, long time sort of yeah. expertise for you. And, and it sounds like encouraging maybe new sponsorship for 21 as well. Yeah, it's a big focus for us. It's when you look at like the best leagues in the world, they they balance what's at the team level, but what's they all have very, very um, robust uh, revenue sources at the league, whether they're league properties, whether it's a licensing business, media broadcast deals, we've got to do that for the for the future of our game. And um, that that is going to be well, that has been a focus and will continue to be a focus in 21. 
Well, I'm sure some some cool announcements to to come. Um, I know you wanted to flip the script here. What's, I uh... did. So, um, so, <laughs> so, Jeff, I hear that you're not a fan of our trophy. <laughs> so, what? Come on, give me. Uh, here it is, right now on a podcast, Jeff. What should we do? Well, I, I love a traditional cup. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that it needs to be big. I mean that. I, I think with due respect to the original trophy, it's um, it kind of looks like a maybe a player award at best in, in size and scope. Um, so I'm a big fan of cups. I mean, you know, obviously there's different examples to pull from around the world. I think even the redesigned MLS cup is, is obviously sharp um, and has some, some weight to it, you know? Um, so I, I think, you know, a traditional cup would be nice. I don't think it has to be, that direction, but even just the, the scale of importance, right? Like you, you just won the league and then you kind of get a little, uh, I don't know, I'm making a hand motion, but it's, I feel like it's the size of my, my water bottle canteen over here. Um, so I think just given that sort of significance would be, you know, some scale to it as well, but you certainly can be unique within that sort of framework, I think. Okay. Well, like that's something that's a focus and, you know, we're maybe thinking that, as I said before, the, the thing that I missed the most this year was seeing fans in stadiums, although we wouldn't have made it this year without them watching us on Twitch and CBS and buying our merchandise and supporting the players on social media and listening to um, reading articles and listening to podcasts. So I'm hopeful that we'll be launching something new where the fans can help us with some ideas on what this new, very substantive, very weighty, very important um, cup should be. So you heard it here first that Jeff Kasuf thinks it should be a cup. And I think if Jeff Kasuf thinks it should be a cup, I think it should be a cup. So look for us to launch something in the new year um, to engage fans around um, what should the what should the character and the, the brand of that cup be? Okay. Well, I mean, if you want to name the cup after me in that case, then that's totally okay. Well, we might say that it was inspired by. How about that? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, that'll be cool. So it sounds like some fan input on on different things. Um, And obviously, I would imagine that goes with the evolved brand that you've kind of teased as well. Absolutely. So like for the fans, I love hearing from you. And, um, you know, tell us what we should be thinking about as we look at our brand for the next decade. Well, maybe we can end on on the um, 2020 was, you know, the year it was, as we know. Um, so obviously some some positives, though, still certainly at a league level. So let's let's be sort of optimistic on 21, because I think everybody hopes by summer is kind of what I've been thinking in my own head, that things will be a little bit back to yeah. whatever normal means. Uh, but what are you looking forward to in 2021? You've mentioned fans. I imagine you'd like fans. to get out to some stadiums. You've got a new team with a brand new stadium. What's on your list of, okay, I can travel. I can do some things normal. What are you looking to do in 21? Well, not too far away. I'm looking, I'm really excited to um, be hosting our draft on January 13th. So that's not too far away. And um, uh, really excited about that. I hope I'm I I'm hoping I'm reaching out to to some of the commissioners I know to like ask them about their best draft moment like what advice would they give a rookie commissioner um, in hosting her first draft it will not as I said before it will not be in my living room we're not doing that um, and uh, so I'm gonna I worked for Roger Goodell so I'm gonna ask him I've worked with Adam Silver 
quite a bit. So I'm going to ask him for some ideas, Kathy Englehart. I even worked for John Middlebrook, who's the head of NASCAR. I'm going to ask him for his ideas, although I don't think they do a draft. Um, but I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to get to the first game in Kansas City and in Louisville. So um, I suspect you might see me in Louisville in the beginning of the season and Kansas City um, uh, when they have their first home opener. Um, I haven't been to Portland, which is a, that was a big miss for me. So I'm really psyched about getting to Portland and Seattle to see that rivalry. Um, so I think traveling a bit will be a really good idea for me. Um, and, um, you know, get it out and, and, and just kind of do what a commissioner should be doing on the everyday job as opposed to this job, which has been an awful lot of Zoom meetings. <laughs> well, uh, Lisa Baird, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, NWSL commissioner almost coming up on a year on the job. I'm sure that it's been uh, an eventful year and not one that you imagined upon taking it, but um, hopefully a f somewhat of a fun one for you. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great holiday. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kicking Back. Please go ahead and subscribe if you don't already so you don't miss any of our great interviews, past, present, or future. Thank you to producer Claire Watkins, who makes this podcast sound great. And please be sure to check us out at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. We're at it every year. This year, it's going to be digital, where it won't be in L.A. as expected, but uh, maybe we didn't expect that the way this year has gone. So registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be there in person, we can still interact from January 11th to 15th, 2021. Still get all the great soccer coaching community content together for a week with fantastic presenters, networking opportunities, uh, socials, uh, which will be on Zoom as we've come accustomed to, and so much more, including us on Podcast Row with some great interviews coming your way in January. So go ahead and register for the United Soccer Coaches Convention at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan.